I'm really excited uh, this morning to be able to share God's Word with you, and we're unbelievably privileged to have the Gary family uh, with us here this morning. And I'm so grateful and thankful uh, for all the people that have helped uh, the Gary family get back on their feet. And just imagine losing everything. And um, I, I just can't even imagine all of the pain and hurt that they have had to go through. But we're so privileged that they come and to worship with us. So I've asked Pastor John Gary to come up here uh, and pray for our service this morning uh, in Creole. And uh, so, so I, I told him my, my Creole is very limited. I did take French, French in high school, so je parle français un peu, but no Creole. So, uh, but oh, there you go. So thank you so much, Pastor, for praying for us. Céleste de Père, Papa, nous qui dans ciel là, Alpha, l'Omega, nous disons merci, Dieu toi frère, c'est un côté bonne opportunité pour nous être capable la matin. Sans ce pas ou même ce hier, nous pas capable la temps prier, c'est pour chacun chacune, c'est hier qui réserve jour ça matin, puis au téléphone adoré, puis au téléphone bas au gloire qui ont mérité, c'est hier. Parce que l'Église là, Madame Lise, c'est hier tout le monde qui l'a, c'est hier n'abandon va vider, riche bénédiction sur eux même l'Éternel grandier. Oh, Seigneur, parce que c'est vous-même qui voyez, c'est vous-même qui avez tout pouvoir. Frère Steven, éternel, ensemble avec Madame, le Seigneur, petit, toute sa activité, le temps pour le matin, Seigneur, ma demande, on va vider riche bénédiction en abondance, Seigneur. Dieu, trois fois, Seigneur, famille, moi, l'éternel, grand Dieu, moi, mettez-vous dans mon matin, Seigneur. Bénis chaque monde qui l'a, chaque monde qui est malade, chaque monde qui sent pas bien, chaque monde qui a un bagage qui dans la vie. Nous connaissons vous-même seulement l'éternel, grand Dieu, qui va couvrir, Seigneur. C'est vous-même seulement qui va avoir une direction l'éternel grand Dieu peut-être hier soir qui n'a pas de bien dormi c'est hier qui n'a pas de bon bagage qui a fait au mal mon bas opportunité l'éternel grand Dieu puis au capable la matin papa nous va pour y étendre mon qui bon mais nous pour y dans nos petites là qui a commandé depuis tout le temps et pour tout le temps Amen 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 Thank you very much bro. Thank you Thank you very much Thank you Isn't it amazing the God that we serve The God that we serve hears our prayers in Creole and hears our prayers in English and hears our prayers in all the languages of the world. I'm so uh, grateful and, and thankful to be a part of a church that su supports missions all around the world and supports people in need. And so thank you, Holly and Stephen, for doing everything that you've done. Thank you, church, for embracing the Gary family as we look forward to, to serving them in any way that we can uh, as they're here in the United States. Our purpose is going to come up on the screen, and when we say our purpose and we go through things like this, it takes a lot. Uh, it, it really has some deeper meaning, doesn't it? Because this is what we're here for as a church. So if you would say this with me, it's to reach and transform people by the power of the gospel and biblical community. And we believe that the power of the gospel is the thing that transforms. We believe that the power of the gospel is the thing that reaches. We believe that the power of the gospel is the thing that's going to be able to change us and be able to help us in our marriages, in our lives, even in the midst of difficulty that we go through. We've been going through this series uh, of the one story of the Bible, and we've looked uh, at creation, and we took three weeks looking at creation, why that's important, and then we spent two weeks looking at uh, the fall, looking at our sin, and that wasn't so much fun, was it? Uh, this past week, and then this week, we're looking at redemption, and how Jesus has come to redeem us, has taken us out of our sin, and then the next couple weeks, we'll look at consummation, Jesus coming again to restore all things, and I hope you've enjoyed this series. If you're brand new here for the first time this week, that's okay. You can jump right in. We're so glad that you're here uh, worshiping with us. If you only had one week to live, what would you do? What are some things that you do? You can just shout them out. What would you do? 
What'd you do if you only had one week to live? Travel. Travel. Okay, that's a big one. What else? Anything else? You, guys don't, you just don't want to think about it, right? You don't want to think, oh, I only have one week to live. Make videos. Okay. What else? All right. So, that's one way to spend your last week. There we go. There we go. Some, some people have told me that they would just eat a lot of food. That's, uh, that's, that's interesting. Um, some people would want to make things right with people that they've struggled with or tell people that they love them. Well, this morning we're going to look at Jesus' last week and what was important to him and what he made a priority. And as you'll see, what he made a priority was us. What he made it a priority was people uh, because he deeply loved us and he deeply cared for us. So as we've been going through this series, we've been looking at the one story and we've been trying to help you understand what the one story is so that you could share that with other people. So that if somebody asked you what the Bible was all about, you'd be able to, to tell them what the Bible is about. The one story from from creation, the fall, the redemption, to consummation. We also have been encouraging you to have some gospel conversations with people, but to start some questioning with people, to get some, some questioning going so that the gospel can go out. And so I need someone to help me this morning. You guys always get scared with this. All I'm going to do is just ask you two questions. There's no wrong answer. Can someone help me? Come on. Come on. I'm not. All right. Thank you, Tim Cooper, for being bold. Come on. Come on up here. Come on up for Give it up for Tim. Thanks for being bold, man. Everyone else here is scared. You're not scared. I'm not scared. Okay, awesome. All right, so Tim, besides Jesus, what's the best gift that you've ever received? I would have to say I got a regulation soccer goal when I was like eight years old. Oh, I still sweet. remember <laughs> that gift. It was for Christmas. Awesome. Awesome. That's good. And then wh why do you think Jesus came to earth? That's a great question. Uh, Jesus came to earth to pay the ultimate sacrifice for us because without Jesus, um, there's no way that we could get to heaven, and there's no way that we could have reconciliation with the Father unless there was a perfect sacrifice. And so he came as a perfect sacrifice for us. Now, let's, go much, let him, let's go let him preach this morning. <laughs> way to go, man. That is a much better gift than a soccer goal. <laughs> way to go, man. Give it up for Tim. Thanks so much, Tim. So we want to just, we want to just model that. It's, a, it's as easy as that, just getting in conversation with people. There's no wrong answer. I mean, Tim gave a great answer, uh, but sometimes people aren't going to give answers like that. And, and someone this week, we asked you to send in stories. Have you been asking people? And we got a story this week of someone in our church that asked a coworker. Last week's question was, uh, who is Jesus? And so he asked a coworker who often takes Jesus' name in vain. And so the person heard the person taking Jesus' name in vain and said, hey, you say Jesus' name all the time. Uh, who is Jesus? I thought that was really creative. And the person said, well, that's a tricky question. I don't really know who he is. When I used to go to church, they were only interested in music. They never told us who Jesus was. Uh, that's pretty interesting. Um, I'm not sure whether that's actually true or not, but that's what his perspective was. And so we want to give you questions to, to be able to share. And if someone to ask me this week, why do I think Jesus came to earth? I would say very, something very similar to what Tim said. I would say that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And that's what we're going to look at this, this morning with the story of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. 
or you can look up on the screen as we go through God's word together. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Wow. Are you, are you blown away by that? I really hope this morning as we go verse by verse through this that you realize that you're a sinner and I'm a sinner and we desperately need redemption. We desperately need a seeking and saving Savior. And I pray as we go through this main scripture and at the end do a survey of a bunch of different scriptures that you'll see the depth of what that means in your life of Jesus being a seeking and saving Savior for you. See, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He lived a perfect life. He died and he rose from the dead. And he also trained up disciples that were then going to make disciples that were going to make disciples. And that's what we talk about uh, here at Good News, about making disciples that make disciples because we want to see people reached and transformed. As you look at the, the first verse of this scripture, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. If you look just before this passage, you see two other stories. You see the story of a rich ruler, uh, which a lot of us can associate with living here in World Golf Village. We may not think it, but we are rich. And because of we're rich, there's lots of different distractions. And, and Jesus, Jesus is talking to this rich ruler, and he asks him, what, uh, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him to give away all of his things, and he doesn't respond well to that at all. And then Jesus sees a blind beggar, uh, and he, he receives sight, not only physical sight, but also spiritual sight to come to know Jesus. And then there's no transition. And in Scripture, when there's no tra transition like therefore or, or something referring back to the other story, there's a connection between all these stories. And Jesus sees uh, another rich person, Zacchaeus, as he's going through uh, Jericho. A man was there by the uh, name of Zacchaeus. And he was the chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. This uh, place of, of um, Jericho was an amazingly awesome place. It was, it was a, a place where people would go on vacations. It was uh, a, a great place to go to get away. And that's what many of the rich uh, rulers did. They would go there on vacation. They would go there as a vacation spot. It was a great place to, to go and, and to relax. And it was right on the routes of trade. So there was a very busy place also. And so there is Jesus on his way to Jerusalem, passing through uh, Jericho in this place where there's lots of rich uh, people, where there's lots of wealth. And he 
uh, was led there by a man named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is a tax collector, and being a tax collector is not anything that our kids strive to be, right? When you ask your kids what they want to be when they grow up, any of your kids ever said, I want to be a tax collector? <laughs> no, we don't, we don't really uh, strive to be that. And in fact, in, in these times, in, in biblical times, tax collectors were really looked down upon because many of them were cheats. Many of them were stealing money. Many of them were doing things that were hurting the people. And that's the same thing that was happening with Zacchaeus. And he was living that rich life. He was taking advantage of all the enormous palaces and swimming pools and gardens and bathhouses and all the things that would have been in Jericho that wouldn't have been in, in many of other, other places. He was taking advantage of all that. He enjoyed the lifestyle that he was doing, but he hears the buzz about this man Jesus coming to town, this person that's coming to seek and save the lost. And so he wants to un understand what this is all about. He wants to understand what is going on, and so that's what happened. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Now, this is a really interesting thing, because Zacchaeus would have had the power, and he would have had the people around him to move the crowd away. This would be like the CEO of Disney going to one of those street parades. You ever been to Disney, one of those parades, and everyone gathers around, the whole park stops, and everyone tries to get in a good position because everyone wants to see all the different people and all the different characters? Can you imagine the CEO of Disney wanting to see the parade, but instead of asking people to move or instead of getting the prime spot because he was the CEO, he decided to climb one of the trees to see the parade. There's a humbleness that Zacchaeus has because he could have asked everyone to move. He could have asked everyone to get out of the way, but he, he doesn't do that. He climbs up a tree. He wants to see on his own uh, what is happening there. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him Gladly. Now, in Western culture, in our culture, it's not really good etiquette to invite yourself over, right? Can I, can I stay at your house? I want to stay at your house now. That's, that's not the way that we, we do things. But in Near East biblical time and biblical culture, this would have been tr a tremendous honor for Zacchaeus. Because the people of Jericho and the people of many other places, they considered it an honor to welcome people in from other places. And so Zacchaeus was being asked by a person now that had lots uh, of influence. And, and so Zacchaeus would have felt honor. And you think that all of the crowd... Seeing this person that uh, is evil, seeing this person that's a sinner, seeing this person that's far away from God, you think the crowd would be excited about that, right? You think that they would be happy that this guy, Zacchaeus, who's been ruling with an iron fist and causing people to give money that they don't have, stealing money from them, you think they would be happy that he would come to, to faith or come to Jesus. But that's not the case. All the people saw this and began to mutter. See, they pointed their fingers at Jesus. They critiqued Jesus right away. They all gathered together to see how Jesus is going to act in this situation. And he says, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Wow. 
the, Jesus was taking in the, the Al Capone of the time. He was taking in someone that people uh, were afraid of, that had a lot of power, that was definitely a sinner, and they didn't like that at all. Well, how many times have in your life you've been accused of being a friend of sinners? How many times have you uh, been accused of hanging out with people that you shouldn't hang out with? Now, listen, we should be on mission, on purpose, that we shouldn't put ourselves in situations where we can fall into temptation, where we can fall into acting like the world. But if we're not going to be friends with sinners and tell them the good news of the gospel, who is? We need to be the light of the world that goes into that darkness and does it in a way with accountability, does it in a way to help others. It doesn't mean that we participate in everything that sinners are doing, but we need to remember that we once too were labeled and are found our identity in being a sinner, but we were found by a seeking and saving Savior. And so that's what Jesus is doing here. He's come to seek and to save what was lost. And Zacchaeus is lost. And he has an opportunity to be able to redeem him, to be able to share the gospel with him, to be able to change his life. And all these people were grumbling. They were grumbling against Jesus because they didn't understand why he came. And it's the same thing in our world today. 200,000 people in St. John's County have no idea why Jesus came. They don't understand them. They think that maybe he was a good teacher. They think maybe he was someone that we talk about from long ago that had some good things to offer. But they don't understand that he's a seeking and saving Savior. But we do as the people of God. And that's why we have to share our faith. And the crowd grumbled because they didn't understand. They thought that he came to overthrow the, the Roman government. They thought he came to help good people get better. But that was not the case. When all the people saw this, they began to, and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said, said to, the, to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay, uh, pay back four times the amount. Scholars kind of disagree on whether did Jesus actually go to his house because it seems like it was very quickly that uh, Zacchaeus stood up. But I think Luke, as he does oftentimes here in his, his gospel, he compresses things to make a point. I think that Jesus did go to Zacchaeus' house. He did have some conversations with him. And maybe there at the house is where Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord where he's repenting. Where he's saying, I know that I've gone the wrong way. I know that I'm fallen. I know that I'm in my sin. And each and every one of us has to do this. We have to recognize that we're in our sin. We have to recognize that we're far away from God. We have to recognize that we've done things wrong. Part of the reasons why I share my stories about how I struggle with sin is I don't want you to feel isolated and alone in your sin. That's what the evil one tries to do. Each and every one of us has messed up, and I'm the chief of them. If you don't believe that, you can come hang out with me on Monday, and you'll see that I sin in many ways, and I desperately need a Savior. And Zacchaeus did that too, and he, and he realized that. And so he's radically transformed. He says, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. That was a huge statement for Zacchaeus to say because he had cheated a lot of people. He was just like every other tax collector, cheating people. But he wanted to make things right. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Listen, we're not 
saved by our good works, but we are saved for good works. We're saved to do things that will honor God, that will glorify God. And over and over, in fact, 83 times in Scripture, Jesus is called the, the Son of Man, the Son of Sinners, the second, uh, a second Adam. And he came with priority to seek and to save the lost because he valued us so much. I mean, if you lost a, a penny on the ground, would you be urgent trying to find it? Yeah, you, you, you probably wouldn't because it's, it's a penny. But if you, if you lost a $100 bill on the ground, you'd probably be a little bit more urgent trying to find it. If you lost one of your kids somewhere, you'd be very urgent trying to find them. I remember uh, a few weeks ago... Uh, Levi was walking up to our house, and there's a, a big hedge right next to our house. And when nobody was looking, he went into the hedge. And we went inside, and we put our stuff down, looking all around. And all of a sudden, it's like, where's Levi? Where's Levi? Levi! Levi! Okay, Levi, stop funny anymore. Levi! Levi! Levi's not answering. There's a pond right near our house. We go running back there in panic, trying to find Levi. We're looking around all the neighborhood, trying to find Levi. Everyone's saying, Levi was right here with us. Thankfully, I have one of those ring doorbells with the camera. I look on my app and see that and see Levi going, whoop, hiding in the bush. And there he was inside the bush, playing a little joke on all of us. But for 10 minutes, right, it was really scary. Our heart was racing, and we were doing everything we could to try to find him, to seek and to save what was lost because he's extremely valuable. And for us, you need to understand this, that Jesus loves us so much. He did everything to come and seek and to save what was lost. He left heaven and came to earth. He lived a perfect life, and he was tempted in every way that we are. I mean, think about all the ways that we're tempted. Think about all the ways that we fall. Jesus was tempted in all of those ways, and maybe even more. But he maintained a perfect life for us because he was seeking and saving us. He was loving us. He was caring for us. He loves us so much. He values us so much. And then he died on the cross. Painful, awful, terrible death. It was painfully physically, but it was also painfully spiritually as he separated from his father. Separated from all that is good so that he could overcome death, so he could overcome sin as a seeking and saving Savior. See, re religion says that, that God is hiding away somewhere and man has to find him. But when we have a relationship with God, when we look at the gospel, we see that God is the one that's seeking. God is the one that's moving. We see it even right here in the story with Zacchaeus, right? I mean, Zacchaeus comes and sees what's going on, but it's Jesus that actually takes the step, doesn't he? He says, Zacchaeus, I'm, I'm going to your house. I care about you, brother. I want you to come to know what the truth is. I see you up there. Won't you come? Won't you come? And he gives the same exact invitation to all of us. He says, won't you come? Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, lets me in, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. Jesus is saying, I want to have that closeness with you. I know you. I want to know your life. I want to be a part of your life. I want to be a seeking and saving Savior in your life. He came to seek and to save what's lost. Each and every one of us, if we're outside of Jesus, we're lost. If you're in that position, you're lost, don't stay that way. 
Jesus wants to have a, a working relationship with you. He wants to know you. He wants to be close to you. He wants to move in your life. He wants to be your Savior and your Lord. So if you've never trusted in Jesus, do what Zacchaeus did. Do what Zacchaeus Take a, a step towards Jesus, and Jesus will step towards you. And you can come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And then you admit that you've done things wrong, just like Zacchaeus did. That you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you commit to him in your life as Lord. If you've never done that, you can do it right in your seat. Or you can come and talk to one of the elders or the people on the prayer team. After, we would love to help you uh, grow in your relationship with Jesus. See, Jesus came to seek and save what's lost. And we see in his life, as he's trying to do that, that he really does love lost people. I mean, you see that with the stories of the rich ruler. He's, he's trying to challenge him in what he believes. We see the story with the blind beggar in his sight. We see the story with Zacchaeus. Over and over and over, we see Jesus loving people. And that's why he came on this earth as a seeking and saving Savior. He cared for us so deeply. And then he lived a question-raising life. I mean, every time he did something and took a stand for something, people always questioned him because he was doing things differently. How does your life look? Does your life raise some questions? Do people, because of the way you act, because of the way you interact with people, because of the things that you do, do people ask questions? Do people ask questions when, when so, something happens on your bill that you get at a restaurant and it maybe isn't right, and instead of, instead of just getting away from there with an extra discount, you actually say something? That, that raises questions. What about with the actions that you do when, with going to church on Sunday? People ask you, why, why do you go to church? What's the reason for doing that? I mean, it's a beautiful Sunday morning. Why would you spend your time going to church? Question raising. What about a small group? People in our old neighborhood, that used to happen all the time. All these cars would come to our house and the neighbors would ask questions. What's going on over there? Are you guys having parties every Sunday afternoon? Well, we kind of are. We're having a Jesus party. We're talking about Jesus. We're praying for each other. The things that we do should cause some questions in our life because we need to be, we need to be in the world that we need to not be separated from the world because we can't be in the world, then we can't reach sinners. But we can't be of the world the exact same way. If we look like the exact same way as our unbelieving friends and neighbors, then no one's ever going to ask any questions, and Jesus isn't actually making any difference in our life. We, our lives should look different. That's what Jesus did. He lived a question-raising life. And he also divided people. I mean, you look here at this story, there is hunger from Zacchaeus, right? But there's also hostility. That the crowd is questioning him. The crowd is getting mad at him. And everywhere Jesus went, that was like that. There was hunger from some people and hostility from others. And I've found that over the last 20 years or so of sharing my faith, I see lots of people with hunger. People are closer and want uh, closer to the Lord than you think and need hope and joy more than you could ever imagine. And sometimes when you share your faith with people, you think, wow. The Holy Spirit is really moving. I'm so glad that I shared and these people accept Christ and have their lives changed. And there's also hostility. I've experienced that too. As many times as I've shared my faith and people were not happy about that. 
They're not happy about the way that I live my life. Jesus does that to people because there's, there's a decision that has to be made that is life-changing because he is a seeking and saving Savior. And so the depth of that in our life, as we look at Zacchaeus and the story of him, I want to finish out this message by looking at what the Westminster Confession says about Jesus. Because this is some of the depth of our faith. Because many of you have heard about Jesus. Many of you have accepted Christ for many, of you, many years. Many of you maybe even take it for granted a little bit. So listen to some of the things that the Westminster Confession says. And I'll look at some of the scriptures that go with it in closing. The first paragraph says, It pleased God in his eternal purpose to choose and ordain Lord Jesus, his only begotten Son, to be the mediator between God and man, the prophet, priest, and king, and head and savior of his church, the heir of all things, the judge of the world, unto whom he did from all eternity give a people to be his seed and to be by him in time redeemed, called, justified, sanctified, and glorified. If you look in 1 Timothy 2, uh, 5 and 6, we see that Jesus is our mediator. That without him, we'd be on our own. For there's, no, for there's one God who is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. He's the mediator. So that's the cool thing is you don't have to call me up and say, Hey, pastor, I know you have the red phone to God. I know your prayers are more powerful. Would you pray? No, that's, that's not the case. I'll be happy to pray for you. But your prayers are just as powerful as mine are because we have a mediator in Christ, a seeking and saving Savior. The second section says that the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, being very and eternally God of one substance and equal with the Father, did, when the fullness of time come, take upon him man's nature, with all the essential properties and common infirmities thereof, yet was without sin, being conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and the womb of the Virgin Mary in her substance, so that two whole, perfect, and distinct natures, the Godhood and the manhood, were inseparably joined together in one person, without conversion, composition, or confusion, which person is very God and very man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and man. This is so vital. We talked a little bit about this last week, that as a seeking and saving Savior, he's fully God and fully man. It says that in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, that he is fully God and fully man. See what it says here? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will, will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. This is so vital for us as a seeking and saving Savior, just like it was for Zacchaeus. That he was fully God, so he was able to save him from their sins. But he was fully man. He was able to meet him exactly where he was at and relate to him. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, The fullness, the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form in Christ. We get to see that in his humanity and his deity. The third section says, The Lord Jesus, in his human nature, thus united to the divine, was sanctified and anointed with the Holy Spirit above measure having him all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, in whom it pleased the Father that all the fullness should dwell. To the end, that being holy, harmless, and full of grace and truth, that it might be thoroughly finished to execute the office of mediator, which office he took upon himself, but was thereunto called to his Father, who put all power and judgment into his hand and gave him commandment to execute the same. See, what that's saying here is that 
because Jesus was fully God and fully man, because he came to seek and save the lost, when we trust in him, we get the power of the Holy Spirit. We get the same power that Jesus has. I mean, what an amazing thing that is. And in the Great Commission, as we've been talking about make, making disciples that make disciples, in, in Matthew 28, uh, verses 18 through 20, it, it says that he'll be able to be the one that gives us power and he'll be with us to the end of the age and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, it says that we're going to receive power. It says this. It says, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will work in our lives as, Jesus, as we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. He will give us power to be able to stand. The next section says, The office of the Lord Jesus did not willingly undertake which that he might discharge. He was made under the law and did perfectly fulfill it, endured the most grievous torments immediately in his soul and the most painful sufferings in his body, was crucified, died, was buried, and remained under the power of death, yet saw no corruption. On the third day he rose from the dead with the same body in which he suffered, which he also ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession and shall return to judge men and the angels at the end of the world. In John chapter 10, verse 18, we see really clearly that he lays down his life. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. He laid down his life as a seeking and saving Savior so that we could have life. In Philippians chapter 2, it says that he humbled himself to death on a cross. I mean, look at this. It says, being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The only person that was really... The only person that was really able to overcome our sins is Jesus. And thank, I'm so thankful that he was obedient. Because if he was not obedient, we would still be in our sins. And then finally, the last section says, The Lord Jesus in his perfect obedience and sacrifice of himself, which he through the eternal spirit uh, once offered up to God, has fully satisfied the justice of his Father and purchased not only reconciliation, but everlasting inheritance to the kingdom of heaven for those whom the Father has given to him. In uh, uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 19, it talks about that perfect obedience. It says, we're just as uh, through the disobedience of one man, the disobedience of Adam, like we talked about in the fall week, that disobedience of Adam that affected all creation. We were all made sinners. So also through the obedience of one man, the second Adam, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. That's who we are in Christ. I hope you understand some of the depth of a seeking and saving Savior. It affects everything that we do. It affects our relationships. It affects our lives. It gives us hope and peace and joy because of what Jesus has done. He has came to redeem us. He has came to help us. He has come to seek and save those who are lost. So I hope this week you can ask someone this week, why did Jesus come to earth? Ask them why they think that Jesus came to earth, and hopefully it will spark a conversation, and you can share with them some of the depth that you learned here this morning of a seeking and saving Savior. I'm so glad Jesus came. Aren't you? Let's pray together.
Lord, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you did not leave me in my sin. Thank you that you helped us to experience eternal life. Lord, I'm so grateful for the story of Zacchaeus, a man that was far away from God, but yet was able to find hope in you, King Jesus. Lord, I pray for all of us as we may be running from you, we may be far away from you, we may not know you, Lord, I pray that we would come to know you and that we would be motivated to share the joy and the hope of a seeking and saving Savior. Lord, you are good to us. And we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.